I was told to expect that the middle of a Kickstarter would would be uneventful and nothing would happen. It would sort of be mostly flat for a while. And we've had sustained linear growth the whole time. So what that tells me is that people keep discovering it and getting excited about it, right? We haven't like exhausted the demand. It's just a matter of getting people to hear about it and like brighten somebody's 2020. Tell them that this exists. Welcome to the Multi-Amory Podcast. I'm Jace. I'm Emily. And I'm Dedeker. We believe in looking to the future of relationships, not maintaining the status quo of the past. So whether you're monogamous, polyamorous, swinging, casually dating, or if you just do relationships differently, we see you and we're here for you. On this episode of the Multi-Amory Podcast, we're talking about queer storytelling and representation with tabletop game designer April Walsh. April is the designer of Thirsty Sword Lesbians and other games that center and celebrate queer stories. She's also, as a side job, <laughs> a civil liberties attorney. <laughs> Actually, probably that's the other way around. But yeah, it is the other way. <laughs> also, a civil liberties attorney at a nonprofit organization protecting the rights of journalists, researchers, and the general public. April, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me and being excited about my game, Thirsty Sword Lesbians. Oh, oh very gosh. much so. I have to say yes. that as soon as I found out about it, I I posted the link in our private patreon group on facebook and just overwhelming response you know absolutely overwhelming response clearly it's striking a bell with certain people (laughs) yeah we've got over 5200 backers right now and we just crossed 200,000 k in funding uh as of the recording now on november 3rd and still going we've got over a week to go and a bunch more stretch goals so that's so cool um, yeah it's it's really incredible and something i needed in 2020 and it sounds like mm. you know other people needed some some joy and fun and queer storytelling as well oh heck yeah yes. definitely so so as in we shouldn't don't let anyone tell you that queers don't sell oh yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah clearly absolutely can i ask real quick about the 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 pronunciation of the name of the game so I called it Thirsty Sword Lesbians, and you said Thirsty Sword Lesbians. Is there a particular <laughs> yeah. emphasis for how it's supposed to go? It's like, it's like Brits. The sword is thirsty. Mm-hmm. So, uh, sword Lesbians is a queer meme uh, for like lesbians with swords okay. and art of like women with swords and. Um, so sword lesbian, I, I didn't just want to call it sword lesbians, the RPG. I considered slash fic, the RPG or fem oh, slash good. the that's RPG. Fun, yeah. um, but no, they're thirsty sword lesbians. Although the spooky witch archetype, um, everyone has a sword look that they describe. So you could have an elemental sword or a famous sword. The spooky witch can have a thirsty sword and it's up to you what your sword thirsts for. Oh, okay. 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 Exciting. Okay, so thirsty I love it. sword lesbians. Got it. Thank you yes, for clarifying you that for me. <laughs> so, okay, you are this attorney by day, and then you are this game designer by night. And so does your work in both fields kind of intersect or overlap each other? Or is this just like completely different, completely new for you in doing this? I think it definitely overlaps. A lot of the tools for moderating the conversation that happens at an RPG table are similar to tools that you use in activist organizing, particularly grassroots Mm. organizing, or figuring out a brainstorm between multiple colleagues where you want to make sure everyone has the opportunity to provide input. And, um, and also sort of an interest in making sure that people who are marginalized are able to tell their stories. So professionally, my work on net neutrality Uh, and on uh, protecting against overly restrictive copyright claims helps people who don't own massive media conglomerates be able to participate in culture. And fan culture is a part of that as well. So it's not all journalists and activists. Sometimes people just want to be a part of culture because it's fun and it's part of being a human and expressing yourself. And so that is both sort of part of my professional work, but also part of the ethos of Thirsty Sword Lesbians, where I am absolutely centering um, lesbians, Mm -hmm. but uh, it is super 
Um, just sort of as written, it's super inclusive of asexual takes, aromantic takes, or anyone on those spectra of bisexuals, pansexuals. And as a stretch goal, we added men. So Lucian Khan, who is an award-winning game designer, wrote um, Gay Lords. This was the first stretch goal. So you are you are gay male warlords, and it's a reflection of the 90s wow. culture that he's familiar with. And like, it's sort of like cheeky and fun to be like, for once, men are the stretch goal. But also, <laughs> right. it's, it was the first stretch goal. We were pretty sure we were going to hit it because like, I don't actually want to leave anybody out. So, um, so yeah, it's not prescriptive at all, which is also sort of like a very queer way to think about relationships. Mm, yeah, definitely. Yeah, I um. So my partner is one of the creators of Hero Forge, um, oh, which also had a very successful Kickstarter campaign back in the day. Mm-hmm. But when I think about it, I it it is like you know, a very, like, cis male type kind of thing is, it seems like D&D and tabletop gaming, like, when my head first went to it, it's like a bunch of big group of guys, like, sitting around and just playing these games. So I love the fact that there's a, a different thing that is out and that is, like, bringing marginalized groups to the forefront. Like, it's so fantastic and very different than what I think other experiences of tabletop gaming are. Yeah, like I, I, I cut my gaming teeth on those kinds of systems, right? So my first RPG, I ran on the school bus in second grade, and we rolled wow. dice in a shoebox. And oh, it, was, yeah. it was the old, uh, like, Star Wars RPG. Oh, the but Star Wars, played, it was a Star Wars D20 or the one D6, before that? It was yeah, Oh, wow. Yeah, it was the West End Games one. Um, but I played a bunch of D&D, and, you know, to, to my sort of modern moral sensibilities, I don't want to go and kill the designated evil races and take their things, right? I don't want to be told that like your race inherently affects your characteristics in, in sort of a game changing way. That means that like some types of people can't do some professions. Um, So like, I think there's a lot to enjoy in the hobby, but I also think there's a big hunger for um, stories that are told from a different perspective and are more uh, make more space for, relationship focused play or like ethical play honestly you know it's not it's not as if everyone in thirsty sword lesbians is perfect in fact every single archetype has an emotional conflict that the person is grappling with like you are disaster lesbians you you are like fun <laughs> and uh we love to hear about your stories because you make so much drama mm. um so it's a game that c- creates those melodramatic stories and it focuses on feelings so in combat um, the stakes aren't, you know, do I get stabbed so much that I fall down or do I stab you so much that I take your money or whatever? Um, there are no hit points. There's no mechanic that tells you like now you're bleeding or decapitated. It's, uh, you know, the stress of conflict can cause you to get emotional conditions. So you might become angry or insecure. Um, and that's part of a play loop where then your, uh, comrades can give you emotional support to help you recover from those conditions or if you don't get that, you can just act out. You can do something destructive. If you're angry, you can break something important. And like this is part of giving the table permission to play imperfect people who are going to mm-hmm. do things that are destructive and melodramatic, but not um, you know harmful to each other at a player level. There's a whole lot of um, mutual respect and safety tools and consent built into the mechanics as well as the way they're framed to make sure that you can touch on things that are deeply emotional and people who are even, you know, causing harm uh, without that happening outside of the story level, right? All of the players need to be, um, you know, safe and consenting to what's going on. Um, But it actually, when you have that framework, it gives you more of an ability to explore challenging issues than if you have no framework to make sure that you're able to touch on those in a way that's going to be safe for people. That's wonderful. And so is that something that kind of drew you to game design in the first place or what has drawn you to deciding to like, I, I need to create something that represents who I am and, and my peers and things like that. So it may not surprise you that I have played sword lesbians in a lot of different systems And I did not exactly find the game that I wanted, um, which is a game 
uh, that has all the features that that I was just talking about um, and is a celebration of queer love and power. I think it's really important to share stories about queer um, you know, suffering and to build empathy, but also it's okay to just celebrate and be happy and like show that also people who are marginalized can have fun and are worth celebrating. And um, so there, there is a combination of, of things that I wanted in an RPG uh, and didn't find it. So I made it. And it seems like a bunch of other people are getting excited about it too. We have a lot of folks who are, um, this is their first non D and D RPG um, or mm. it's their first time backing a Kickstarter or trying wow. an RPG. So, you know, it seems like there will, I was not the only one who needed this. And that's really exciting. I will say that uh, I think this is my first time ever feeling an urge to actually run a game of any kind, <laughs> to be totally honest. You know, I want played, to DM or? Yeah. I mean, I've played cool. a lot of games and I've, I've never had the urge to DM. I mean, and it helps that my partner, Alex, right now, he's DM, DMing his first D&D campaign. And so it's actually been inspiring to see him go through the process and learning stuff and things like that. But then when I saw this, I was like, this is the kind of world that I would totally love to sink into. And and be orchestrating things in that way. So I found out about Thirsty Sword Lesbians because I have a Google search alert for the phrase relationship anarchy, um, which Ooh. brings up <laughs> all kinds of fascinating results <laughs> on a daily basis. But yeah. it brought up this quote from the Kickstarter. Thirsty Sword Lesbians is explicitly designed to tell melodramatic and queer stories, tales fraught with relationship triangles, mystery, intrigue, relationship anarchy, celebration, and revolution. So of course instantly intrigued on my part. Um, but that is a pretty broad description. And so for our listeners, can you tell us a little bit more in detail about the premise of Thirsty Sword Lesbians? And then I also want to set up that we have a lot of questions and I put them into the broad categories of questions about thirst, questions about swords and questions about <laughs> lesbians. So we will be getting more in there, but like just for our listeners, can you give us like the pitch line, yeah. essentially or the log line for Thirsty Sword Lesbians? Yeah, Thirsty Sword Lesbians is a storytelling game for telling queer stories in any setting where swords cross and hearts race. So it's uh, based on it's, it's it's consistent in mood and genre in a sense, in that it's about, you know, people in queer situations having melodrama and relationships and this motif of um, conflict and exploring yourself and one another through that. But in terms of um, genre like sci-fi, fantasy, cyberpunk, we have um, settings for all of those and more. We're up to more than 20 different settings. Um, and wow. that was part of why, you know, an alternate name would be like Slash Fic the RPG. Because you can take your favorite thing mm. with swords and, you know, run it with this game and make it gay. And that's, that's all that I want from my media, really. Like, okay, that's a cool premise. Now it's mine and I'm going to make it gay with my friends, with like fanfic or RPGs or, or whatever. I love that idea of, of just taking all sorts of different fandoms that you might enjoy and taking one of these modules and then kind of slotting it in and doing like a short little campaign of whatever, you know, being the boys from Supernatural or, you know, making the the triad that should have happened in the latest Star Wars movie actually be real or, you know, all sorts of those things. <laughs> yeah. So maybe your question, or, or maybe you're going to ask a question about relationship anarchy. Oh, we probably will. I think that's okay. actually a good segue into our next question here. Into mm -hmm. thirst. Yeah. Into let, thirst. Let's, questions let's about talk thirst. a little bit about, about thirst, the thirst and thirsty sword. So, okay. In the Kickstarter description, it's mentioned that the characters of Thirsty Sword Lesbians, they fundamentally crave connection, mm -hmm. which is really cool. And, like, again, it, it sounded almost as though you were not talking about, like, usual D&D &D where p there's a lot of violence and people are killing each other and stuff like that. This is just about emotional connection. And and that, like, really is sort of unheard of for a role-playing game, for, like, the basis of a role-playing game. So how did you come to that and and how does that end up playing out in the game, that connection. Yeah, well, you're exactly right that the thirst um, is for sort of any kind of deep emotional connection. So like I said before, it could be romantic, it could be physical, or it could not be. Um, it could be platonic. And um, there are a lot of stories about found family that uh, emerge from it. But um, 
There are um, several games that uh, built pieces of mechanics that help you center emotional stories. So the three that are the biggest influence uh, for me would be Masks, Monster Hearts, and The Watch. And so each of them um, introduced a way of thinking about either relationships or feelings. So the way that conditions are done in Thirsty Sword Lesbians is very similar to the way that they're done in Masks. Um, The concept of strings as a measure of uh, emotional closeness or savvy is somewhat similar to Monster Hearts, but in Thirsty Sword Lesbians, it's a bit more um, value neutral. So if I'm vulnerable with you, you're going to get this emotional leverage that you can use to help me or to hurt me, right? Like mm, you can use it to, um, you know, it's it's an act of vulnerability and you know, mechanics that shape your experience as a player and give you a taste of what your character is experiencing are sort of my favorite bit of game design for uh, bringing out feelings, right? So there, there are ways that your character might wind up tempted to do something and it's always your choice. You always have control over how your character chooses to act. But if you do the bad idea and you kiss this person, then you'll get an XP for it. And often oh. all people need is an excuse to make the dramatic choice, right? <laughs> like an uh-huh. XP is a cool thing. Um, but also it's permission to be like, yeah, I can tell a story about someone who's giving in to temptation. And then we're going to play out the complications that derive mm. from that. Uh, so... I definitely condensed uh, what I had seen in other RPGs and stitched it together and added some other mechanics. I'm really proud of the smitten mechanic, which is just whenever you find yourself smitten with somebody, um, basically what happens is we ask a question that comes out of your archetype about why it would be challenging to pursue that relationship, right? So if you're the trickster Mm. and your whole emotional deal is that you crave closeness and you fear vulnerability, then you have to answer the question, you know, what secret do you have that you're sure would cause them to reject you? Right. And so that's making sure that we have an interesting romance story with obstacles or an interesting, you know, other connection story. Um, There are obstacles to it. We're not, you're not like, building up love points or whatever, right? Like mechanizing relationships that way sure. is not something yeah. I was excited about. Um, but you're sort of saying, this is important to me. And like everyone at the table at the player level now knows this is a plot point that you can poke for drama that <laughs> I'm excited about. I'm invested in. And that helps the the game master as well as the other players to tell the story with you and spotlight your character. Did you just say gay master or game master? I did. Oh my gosh. Okay. I thought I caught that. That's good. (laughs) Um, I love it. I want to talk about relationship anarchy and non traditional relationships, you know, because I do think that sometimes the way it feels, anyway, is it feels that there's fundamental difficulties or roadblocks in portraying non traditional relationships, queered relationships in games in general. However, just when you made that comment about building up love points, quote unquote, I realized like, oh yeah, that's also the way that like monogamy is portrayed in a lot of games or video games or stuff like that. It's like, we even have a hard time just portraying relationship mm-hmm. and gamifying relationship at all. So I'm curious to hear about your, your, your thoughts on that and your experience with that. Yeah. It's interesting. I definitely haven't thought of it as gamifying the relationship. I think there is an element of that to strings, but a lot of it is making sympathetic, interesting people who, you know, have a network of interconnections, right? So when you make characters, there are some relationship prompts that sort of demonstrate what your like initial sentiments about each other are going to be. Um, And then you get to choose how many strings you have with each other person or how many you give to each other person. Like how much Mm -hmm. do I think you get me? How much do I care what you think, et cetera. And so that's sort of the first act of vulnerability or with where like giving someone a string, you know, in a game where that's adversarial, that that like feels bad. That's like, oh no, you now you're gonna mess with me. But in Thirsty Sword Lesbians, this is like, I hope you use this well. And if not, it'll be dramatic and fun and I'll be mad and we might have a sword fight and then make up and make out about it. So <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so uh it, it there's no there's no like tracking binary relationship strength or comparing it or being um, exclusive. You can be smitten with as many people as you want. Um, that's a question that some, sometimes people ask, like, can I be smitten with more than one person? 
you can, you can do that. <laughs> <laughs> Hell yeah. <laughs> um, but you will, you will wind up probably being vulnerable with multiple other characters. And the way that your relationship forms is going to come out of the story and who your characters are and what experiences they go through together. And so um, you could... You could wind up having, you know, one partner that you are into romantically and, and that's the one for you. Or your like whole party could become a fully connected polycule. Oh and... my god. Okay. This is why I wanted wanted DM something like <laughs> yes. this. I'm just, mm, GM. just exciting. GM. 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 Right? GM. Yes. GM. You know, there, there are in the scenarios there are references to polycules as well. Um, so it's absolutely a part of the canon sort of worlds that um, are presented and part of the glossary in case someone comes to the book without being familiar. And then there's some like sneaky mechanics that, uh, that are in there. So the devoted is the archetype that's exploring, um, toxic self-sacrifice where Mm. you give so much and don't take care of yourself. And, uh, they have a move, um, that basically gives them a bonus when they help someone that they're smitten with be with somebody else. Right. And so, mm-hmm. like, you read that from a monogamous point of view, you're like, oh, the angst that's going to tell, like, such good jealousy and heartbreak stories. But you read that from a poly point of view, and you're like, I can get points for compersion, like, being happy for this person I care about. That's fantastic. Let me hit that button. Um, and so there are a few places where there are little Easter eggs where, you know, the way you read it, uh, you know, might shape your experience of it. But there's also room to discover that it actually, you know, can work in a different way as well. Very cool. It's, it's so exciting. And and it's a little bit bittersweet because at the same time, I'm just like, I think the reason people are so, 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 so excited about this is that, I mean, people have just been desperate for these like little bits of representation for so long. You know, I mean, I'm coming at it from like the non-monogamous perspective of just that, of just like, oh yeah, I'm just like seen in this really, really tiny way. And that produces this almost inappropriate level of excitement <laughs> about that I, because I feel like so many people have been so starved of this for so long. Well, we definitely so, are a very, a very queer team, a very um, diverse team. So uh, our, we have five um, authors who contributed settings in addition to me. So I'm the designer, I wrote the rule stuff and one of the settings, but now there are over 20 of them. <laughs> I didn't write most of them. Oh, wow. Um, wow. And uh, the game absolutely benefits from having all of those perspectives. So uh, it's just getting better and better, which is really exciting. There's Thirsty Sword Lesbian content that I didn't have to write. I just get to see <laughs> this neat stuff that's out there. So, you know, I, I get to have that experience as well that you're describing. That's super cool. So you mentioned earlier about uh, maybe there's some conflict in that relationship and you're going to have to have a sword fight and maybe make out afterward. Let's uh, segue into talking about swords. (laughs) So (laughs) a lot of role-playing games rely on combat systems, that that's kind of the bulk of the die rolling and the math you're having to do playing a game is, is based around how combat works. And since a, a lot of RPG you know, a lot of RPG storytelling revolves around combat. And so it seems like you're trying to do something different with that game design where you might be able to resolve a situation through something like wit or flirtation or like a really good zinger one-liner. And (laughs) can you tell us a little bit about that? Like, how does it work? How does that play out? And then also, how do the stakes very compared to something where you might be clashing swords all the time. For sure. Yeah. I'll talk about stakes first, actually. Um, so I hinted at this a little bit earlier in terms of, you know, like when you get into a fight, there's not a chance that the dice are going to tell you you've been dismembered or something, right? Like that's not what's at stake. Uh, what we're interested in is how it's going to change the relationships between characters. So it could be the people fighting. It could be someone you're fighting for or with. Um, but the, the question that we're fundamentally asking when we get into those scenes of, of intense conflict are how does this change the character's relationship? And you, to some extent, the swords are metaphorical, right? So there's guidance for, you could mm-hmm. do this with intense chess games where you're like peering at your opponent and flirting with them. And, uh, that one's called queen takes queen. 
And uh, they're all puns. My creative process is highly pun dependent. Uh, that's fantastic. <laughs> but uh, so so that, what's that's fundamentally what's at stake. And there may be sort of what I would call like situational stakes as well. Like we need to um, in the narrative, we need to get past this person in order to turn off their you know, laser or whatever. Um, and so, so there's still a question because in the conflict, like, how do you get past that person? Do you just like bop them until they stop fighting you? Do you gaze deeply into their eyes and understand something fundamental about their soul and motivations and then talk to them about it and persuade them that, um, there's something else they should be doing? Do you just, do you just seduce them and, and make out and then forget to turn off the laser because <laughs> they're too hot. Um, so there are a lot of things that you can do in this system. Um, when you and an opponent have your swords drawn and you're, and you're clashing, you're not necessarily rolling the fight move. You might be rolling to figure them out. You might be rolling to entice them. You might even be giving them emotional support, right? Depending on like the conversation that you're having uh, as you fight. But if there's if there's someone who just really needs to stop doing what they're doing, you have the option of fighting, of piling on conditions. They're going to get very emotional, and then they're going to be unable to continue. You don't have to redeem or seduce everybody. It is possible to just overcome somebody because sometimes that's the way that people are, or that threats are. Like not everybody is redeemable, um, but in this game, you know more than you might expect will be, and uh, people are very dramatic uh when when so uh, opponents also will take conditions right so uh as you progress your opponent might become um angry and lash out they might become insecure and uh and jealous about some somebody and uh take action based on that so we're going to get to see a bunch of dimensions of that character um over the course of that conflict i didn't win a fight in my game that i wrote I did not win a fight until last <laughs> month. I have been oh, congratulations. Like, I have I have had lots of fights end in flirting. I had a great fight end with me getting impaled to a wall by a robot cat girl, and then oh. I was smitten with her because that was amazing. <laughs> well, isn't uh, that a win though? Like, what is winning? Really? Like, exactly. what are we talking? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. It's not about winning in that sense. <laughs> that's that's such that's so interesting. You know, the more you describe it, it's like this weird combination of you know tabletop role playing games have. I feel like historically had a long basis in fantasy, in escapism, in getting to step outside of yourself, in getting to express yourself in this totally different way or take aspects of yourself and dial them up to 11 or something like that. And by adding these things in, by making it more connection-based or making fights or clashing be not just about physical conflict and stuff like that, it's this weird combination of both making it even more fantastical and also more realistic at the same time. I mean, I think even just having this basis of like no, no single character really being perfect and all of them having a particular flaw, um, I think really drives that home. Yeah, there are a lot of things that are not featured in the line of RPGs that come out of wargaming that mm -hmm. are a part of the experience of being a human being and are fun to tell stories about uh, and are definitely a part of this game. Yeah, definitely. So we're going to move on to talk about lesbians. lesbians. <laughs> um, but first, we are going to take a really quick break to talk about the sponsors for this show, how you can help support us so that we can keep having this content come to you for free. Grand Canyon University, an affordable private Christian university, is one of the largest and fastest growing universities in the country, offering more than 270 programs online. In addition to federal grants and aid, GCU's online students received nearly $130 million in institutional scholarships in 2022. Find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Private, Christian, affordable. Visit gcu.edu slash myoffer to see the scholarships you may qualify for. For a long time now, we've been fans of adamandeve.com for getting sex toys or lingerie or accessories, things like that. It's just a fantastic resource with a huge selection. And now, not only do we have a fantastic offer, but we also have a promo code that will work on adammail.com and evestoys.com, which are their site specifically for LGBTQ audiences. And our code is fantastic. It's 50% 
off of almost any item in the store and free discreet shipping when you use our code MULTI. Yes, we love adamandeve.com and have for years. They are our oldest and longest sponsor, and they just keep on giving great gifts to us and to our listeners. You can bring more pleasure and satisfaction into your bedroom by going to adamandeve.com, adammail.com, or evestoys.com and select any one item. It can be, you know, an adventurous new toy or anything you desire, something fun, something sexy, whatever sounds good. So just enter offer code MULTI at checkout and you'll get 50% off almost any item plus free shipping. That's MULTI, M-U-L-T-I at adamandeve.com, adammail.com or evestoys.com. This is an exclusive offer that is specific to this podcast and it's better than any offer that is currently available on their site. So again, use code MULTI to get you not just the 50% discount, but also the 100% free shipping code M-U-L-T-I. And we are back. So you have mentioned in other interviews that your storytelling has been inspired by LGBTQ fan fiction, by slash fic. Uh, Something I have noticed that this happens in the polyamory community as well, like this tendency to want to ship people together, to want to ship a queer relationship or especially shipping a multi-partner relationship. Jace and I are currently making our way through the 90s Highlander TV series and we've shipped like so many triads so many. in that, that show. It's great fun. That, and that, that would work for thirsty sword lesbians. You can, yes. you can be immortal yes. sword lesbians. Oh my gosh, sure. Dedeker, oh, can you get Jace, master? Jace. Oh my god. Highlander. Wow. Oh my god. Oh my. They're just freaking okay. out. <laughs> Sign me up. I'm getting us the books. Don't even worry about it. We're going to do our Highlander. Oh no, we're definitely, yeah. we're all... Yeah, we are all wow. going to okay. contribute to the Kickstarter and get our pre-ordered books for sure. Okay, well, I, I'm just curious. Um, I mean, I know we've talked about this a little bit already, but I'm like, what do you think it is that really drives that tendency for so many people? It's been the flash fic phenomenon has been a phenomenon for as long as I can remember being on the internet. Mm-hmm. I think it's very human to want to tell stories and to want those stories to speak to you. And a lot of the stories that were given by legacy corporate media doesn't. There are a whole bunch of old white men who act as gatekeepers. And I, I'm i not sure I could name a, a, a TV show or, or Hollywood movie that has good... Um, oof. Can I just go with representation? Not quite, but mm. it's, it's not that far off, right? There, there are good shows <laughs> no, yeah. out there. Um, but... They don't reflect the the reality of the world, and people want stories that do. And um, so, thanks to this, uh, you know, cultural commons and the internet reducing barriers to publication, it's a lot easier to find the audience who is going to be excited about that with you. And you don't need to have a bunch of money. You don't need to have a rich patron. You don't need to own a broadcast company to write a really hot fanfic or write a story about like Bucky and Steve and their whole polycule, like negotiating things for 20 pages. <laughs> that, like, I didn't make that up. So, yeah, people want stories about themselves and are not given them uh, by mass media, uh, but use those common cultural touch points as ways to connect with one another and, uh, hence slash fic. Love it. And then here we are today. <laughs> here we are. Indeed. So you mentioned earlier that one of your first stretch goals was adding male characters, the gay lords, to the to the game world. And on your Kickstarter, you talk about this a little bit, but if you could tell us, since this game revolves around queer storytelling, what happens if you want to play a character who's not a lesbian? Or who isn't a gay man either? What what are kind of the, the options there? Yeah, I mean, the game doesn't require you to pick from a list of options, right? Um, so I don't think there's anything in the game that uh, specifically cares about your sexual orientation, which means it's it's queer already, right? Like that means it's not a cishet game, right? Mm-hmm. It's not telling you that your gender or orientation restrict your options. Um, so that's the way that it's queer. And the sword, sword lesbian is just something that I love and I wanted to center lesbians and I did. Um, but in a way that doesn't exclude anybody 
who, um, you know, who is not a lesbian. I think, you know, your group, I think particularly since the kinds of connections you can make between people don't have to be based on physical or romantic attraction. You can absolutely just as written have a group of completely mixed genders and orientations. You don't need any modding, right? Like the idea that men are a stretch goal was sort of not true. It's it's more funny than true. But um, but I didn't have content that centered gay men until the stretch goal, right? Like that's not an experience that I can speak to. Um, and um, yeah, so so the title uh, talks about sort of what's getting centered here, but it's not exclusive. It's not the kind of talking about queer identities in a way where our goal is to sort of build walls and keep people out. It's more like the guidepost sense of um, identifying uh, ways of being, right? So I wanted to signal, believe me, I have four pages of rejected names for the game. Um, and I wanted to <laughs> signal queer action romance, right? And as a sword lesbian myself, I I also wanted to, you know, put myself in in um in the game that way as well so i used to be a fencer and do kenjutsu and you'll see on the kickstarter my, my history as a sword fighting ballerina is in there um, <laughs> <That's awesome. laughs> so so it's sort of about centering something that i want to celebrate and care about while also welcoming in uh, a wide variety of identities both, now you both lgbtq and otherwise right so all of the contributing authors in the core book are people of color. Um, and, and the, the contributors are diverse along a bunch of other axes as well. Now, uh, related to that, you did leave, it seems, in the Kickstarter, almost kind of this ominous warning <laughs> that you can play a cishet character if you want. Just don't be surprised if the game turns them queer <laughs> Great. I love that. the game isn't going to enforce patriarchy for you in fact it's yeah. going to it's going to show Good. you that that's not required which is all that it takes to turn people who may think they're cishet you know not everybody i'm not saying everybody but you know there are so many people who are only it's compulsory right like compulsory heterosexuality is a term for a reason right so the, the mechanism for that sentence is that the game is going to sort of free you from those enforcements of, uh, of patriarchy and let you explore what the character, um, what the character wants without artificial constraints. So you might discover that like, yes, you are cis and het and that's okay, but you might discover something different. Well, it sounds like the gay agenda to me. <laughs> <laughs> I'm pretty well, sure and- it's, it's up there. Yeah. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> And because patriarchy, unfortunately, is kind of alive and well still in our society, the word lesbian makes people be like, oh, this is uh, maybe pornographic or something like that just because of the title. So I know that you said that or you've talked about the fact that some people have kind of assumed that. Can you discuss that a little bit more? Just what some assumptions have been by simply seeing this title that has the word lesbian in it? So honestly, I should not have gone and searched the internet to, to read, like to find people who didn't like it, but I did. And they were mm, extremely mad when they discovered that like, it was not male gazy, that there are fat mm. lesbians, right? Like they're, they're like, this game could be good, but it's not, it's, it's, yeah. they're, yeah. they're like ugly and whatever. And they're not like, and they're, it's okay if they are, but um, yeah, like part of that is, uh, the name working as intended in the sense that it attracts the people that, you know, I would want to share a table with and that I would think are more safe for, you know, the queer person reading this book, looking for a group to share a table with. And it repels people who, you know, are going to uh, get upset that it's not for them or going to sneer at the uh, progressive content. Uh, a bunch yeah. of the people on that thread were mad that it wasn't for fascist serfs or bigots. And like, what a thing to I get did. mad about in the year 2020. <laughs> yeah, no, I saw that on your Kickstarter. It was like, if you're these things, sorry, this game isn't for you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And yeah. in the book, it's very much sort of behavior focused, right? Like, to you have to respect trans people. You have to respect racialized people. You have to respect neurodivergent people. You have to respect sex workers. Um, so it's not like 
your identity is wrong. I didn't say no Republicans can play it, but I said you have to show all these forms of respect uh, or else don't. <laughs> so <laughs> just don't. Um, you got plenty of other games to choose from. Right. Honestly, <laughs> really? For sure. know, we haven't we haven't talked deeply about safety tools, but um, who is at the table with you is sort of something that I think of as the first level of safety. And so if my game can repel assholes, then that's that's brilliant. <laughs> oh yeah yeah can, can you actually talk a little bit more about safety tools because i know you you've teased that a little bit about that kind of being built into the game Excellent. yeah yeah um i think about safety tools in four different levels and so who's at the table is the first one if i run a game at a convention i will say like this is a game that centers people who are marginalized on the basis of of sexual orientation and gender if that doesn't apply to you, then you don't take the first slots. Like if there's still slots at the end, sign up, but make space. Um, and and that's a that's a safety thing because um, you you can you can more deeply uh, and genuinely explore um, some elements of your experience if you're with people who are at least not going to be hostile to that experience. But ideally, um, you can share some of it or and complement it. Um, then there is the, uh, the sort of culture of play and a lot of the goal of sort of describing specific safety tools is, um, just making it clear that the thing that's most important is everyone's well-being, right? Like if, if we need to pause and take care of somebody because like they got triggered by the content, then we're going to do that. And we're not going to whine that like, oh, but the story was going to be so good if we just had this offensive scene, right? Like that's not what's going to happen here. Um, so, so that culture is very important. And so are, um, the literal mechanics of play, right? So there is no, um, way that you can roll a die and force somebody to do something. That's just not, that's not an option. Um, so particularly for player characters, but, um, I also discourage thinking of NPCs as sort of instruments of the player's will as well. So the, the, there isn't a way that like, I just roll and I persuade the NPC. You can try to figure them out and see what they care about and what, you know, might persuade them to, to do the thing that you want them to do. You could flirt with them and try to get some leverage and then they might be more amenable, but they always have the option of saying no. And that's really important for telling stories about intimacy, because if, if there's anybody in the story who can't say no, it's just creepy and bad feeling. Um, and then, uh, and that also ties into the the idea that temptation is fun, right? Like getting told, like now your character does this is not fun. Being told you could do this foolish thing for an XP, like oh yeah, I'm going to do that. I'll <laughs> challenge. I'll challenge the queen to a duel. That sounds like a great idea. Um, and then at sort of the very bottom of it are formal safety tools. So. Um, Things like the X card, where anyone can sort of throw up an X and uh, remove content from the game, or checking in, or um, the palette is one of my favorites. At the start of a game, you will identify things that you do want to see and things that you don't want to see. Hmm. And so we're going to get stuff that like you're hyped about, but and the stuff you don't want to see, like there's not a high bar. Like I'm sick of dragons. Let's not have dragons in this game. That's fine, and it sort of normalizes the idea that it's okay to say what you prefer. And you can change that at any time. So uh, a lot has gone into um, trying to make this game that features physical conflict and high emotions, something that tells fun, positive stories and steers you in uh, a, a direction of good melodrama rather than um, any anybody getting hurt by the experience. Yeah. And I think related to this, you know, you've talked about... Um you know, it's like, this is a game that that's meant to be centering people who are marginalized in particular ways. And there's definitely some inherent challenge in that in creating a game that appeals to a wide variety of marginalized people, including people whose lived experiences are different from your own. So I'm curious to hear about your process of building your team when it was that you knew that it was time to bring on other writers, bring in sensitivity consultants. Like, I'm curious to know a little bit more about your creative journey in that regard. Yeah. Um, so I have my day job where I do lawyer things. <laughs> and then when I have time, I work on RPGs. So it was sort of a long process. Our first play test was either late 2017 or early 2018. Um, so I occasionally say that like this game came out of the same gay stew as, as She-Ra, 
right? It's, it's not like, it, yeah, it's not like a Shira based game, but like we had some common thoughts back in 2017, 2018, mm-hmm. uh, that we wanted sword lesbians and cat girls. And, um, so I did a lot sort of on my own for a while. And then I did a beta release, um, on itch and then people got excited about it. And then evil hat, the publisher got excited about it. I'm like, do I want to sign up with a publisher? Uh, they're saying all the right things about, uh, you know, wanting to reach a new market and not compromise, not compromising the queerness of the game. Um, and fortunately it has panned out that way that they are, uh, they are supportive. Uh, they know the business stuff really well. I couldn't have done this without them, but they also, um, you know, take my direction on places where I'm the sort of cultural expert. And so we've had two different sensitivity consultants, um, who, uh, who looked at the text before. So after the play test, before the, um, Kickstarter version, when there was still time to make sort of significant edits, I, my thinking is basically that I want a sensitivity, sensitivity reader. As soon as I have written most of the things and early enough that I can make big changes if they're needed. I don't want to be at the end of the process and hear that, like, you know, something I built in as a fundamental sort of currency of the system has a racist connotation or something, right? Like, right. Um, you know, if I if I got that feedback, I would change it. And so I want to get that feedback early enough to act on it without um, messing up the rest of the timeline. So those are sort of the two, the two competing poles. I want it to be done enough that, like, I'm not going to add stuff later that slips past, but I also um, want it to be early enough that I can make really significant changes if that's uh, the feedback for what it needs to be. I, I One of the really sort of neat things has been hearing from people who have marginalizations that I don't, um, that like the Beast or the Seeker playbook really speaks to a biracial experience or mm. the Spooky Witch speaks to an autism spectrum experience. And um, then working with those people uh, to to polish that a little bit, as well as um, the recruiting for, for for stretch goals. There are I don't even know. So um, the first one that was pitched was a playbook that focuses on queer parenting and mm, um, wow. and caring for other folks. I'm not a parent, but Alexis Sarah is, and she's writing this really cool playbook where. Um, you can have a, a sort of literal or metaphorical family that you are caring for. And um, it's sort of similar in flavor to the devoted where, you know, you're balancing the needs of people uh, with your own, but there's also a sense of, of them being dependent on you as well, which makes it a different equation from the devoted who's doing this like toxic self-sacrifice thing. Um, there's so the sun hand playbook is all about baking bread and being OCD and <laughs> ex- and is is exploring both of those things um, in a way that sort of can be connected to or can be outside of the setting that um, that Ten Bear is writing. Uh, so Ten Bear is a Native American who is writing a setting where a bunch of people were dumped on a planet by a colony ship and are trying to coexist with the ecosystem there. So there's Mm, a whole bunch of like, you know, what's an ethical way to relate to this ecosystem that we're not a part of um, getting, getting written into that one. And those are, those are what, those are like two of the 30 plus, you know, stretch goals and contributions that, that have come in. So um, it was always the plan to have, stretch goals in the Kickstarter to sort of broaden the perspective of the game. Um, but I, I was talking with one of my sensitivity readers about, you know, how valuable it would be to have it in the core book, right? So like everyone who picks up this book has got other perspectives on the same footing. Um, and I thought that was really smart and important and pitched it to Evil Hat and they helped make it happen. So, uh, so yeah, thanks. Thanks to everybody involved, including the five <laughs> authors who who came up with really cool stuff from like sex worker, holy warriors in the Arctic to mm, uh, wow. 1920s inspired steam funk poets who make swords out of words to fight the bosses um, and, and a bunch <laughs> more. So wow. uh, yeah, I don't know. It's great. And it's important. And I don't know if somebody is hesitating to do it, 
you're going to get to read some cool stuff that connects with the things that you're deeply invested in. And that's awesome. Uh, we actually, as the Kickstarter has done well, we surprised all our contributors um, and we have now doubled what we are paying them, right? We had contracts mm-hmm. and then we're like, how about more money? Which <laughs> is, I think, part of um, like being in a creative community, right? Like Evil Hat is not a company that's there to like extract all value from you like a fruit. Like you're not getting juiced. You are a mm. person <laughs> and, uh, you know, investing in the category in, in the community um, sort of reflects that. And so I like evil hat has been uh, really, it was, it was nerve wracking, right? Like signing a publication agreement. Like now I'm going to be sure. bound to Always. these, like these guys who don't necessarily get it, but they, they have a good way of engaging. Um, and so I trusted them and it's panned out. So that's really fortunate and really important because I have, you know, heard a lot of experience of marginalized creators who try even through small publishers to get their voice out and have a bad experience with it. Yeah. No, oh, that's yeah. great that that's worked out so well. So, okay. Speaking of the Kickstarter and all of these stretch goals and things, by the <laughs> time this episode comes out, your Kickstarter will be done already. Uh, but could you tell us first, just, uh, how has this gone compared to what you expected? Was there any surprises? Were you surprised at how much interest? Or were you surprised at any backlash? Um, I mean, so yes, I was surprised that there are so many people getting excited about it to the to the degree that you know I was told to expect that the middle of a Kickstarter would would be uneventful and nothing would happen. It would sort of be mostly flat for a while, and we've had sustained linear growth the whole time. So wow. what that tells me is that people keep discovering it and getting excited about it, right? We haven't like exhausted the demand. It's just a matter of getting people to hear about it and like brighten somebody's 2020, tell them that this exists. And uh, so yes, that, that was a surprise. It's also a surprise. <laughs> I was worried about doing it in the middle of COVID and recession and like a lot of people are struggling. And in part, I mean, there were always going to be community copies, but that's part of why it's so important. So a community copy is basically, you know, other people have chosen to fund um, freely available PDFs that you can, once once they're done, you'll be able to go and just download them, right? Like if you're a person who, uh, who, you know, the game speaks to, but you don't have the money for it, like I still want you to be able to participate in, in this culture, in this storytelling. And that's part of how uh, we're making that happen. In terms of like the hate, I've actually been surprised that no one has come at me with it like i i had to go looking for it and it was a bad (laughs) idea but uh sometimes we do bad ideas like read twitter or go searching Um, bad ideas like read twitter period (laughs) full stop (laughs) doom scrolling twitter exactly Um, so i had to go looking for it uh but like no one who has read it has said bad things about it that i am aware of and that surprised me as a person who like has anxiety, right? That was not necessarily mm-hmm. what I expected. Or um, I was worried that like the lesbian discourse would happen, right? Like people would say like, you take a stand on exactly who is allowed to be a lesbian and who's not, mm-hmm. right? Like I don't, I, I, one of the nice things about like being a public interest lawyer at a place with like a press department is like they remind us all the time that like our time is too valuable to just let people get a piece of it by tweeting at us. Mm. And right. So if, if, you know, trolls tweet at us, our time is better spent like doing our mission, right. Doing our work and engaging with, uh, with our constituents. So, um, that's a great like message for everyone out <laughs> there. Yeah, yeah. Like, time is lesson. better. Better spend the, yeah working on what you're working on. You hire your press engaging. team to come like coach us for a day on how to <laughs> yeah. do that. Right. I love it. Yeah, but I did expect it to be uh, more difficult, right? I expected there to be that's trolls great. and yeah. um, and that might still happen, right? Like so, people came for Fate of Cthulhu. Uh, when it went to retail, because it said that H.P. Lovecraft is racist, which he was, um, and then the 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 cranks came out and hated it. And some of them actually saw that Thirsty Sword Lesbians was coming, and they were they sort of like typed frothy, incoherent things, which is like exactly the reaction that I want. Like to the extent I think about that demographic, I want them to just like wail and like clutch at their heads in dismay <laughs> that something this gay exists. <laughs> <laughs> 
and oh and God. I just want to put it in perspective for our listeners. It's like the original Kickstarter you were hoping to raise what was it, it was like twenty thousand yeah. dollars or yeah. something like that. And so as of the time times, of this recording, yeah, yeah you're at two hundred thousand dollars. Like clearly. Right a handful of people were ready for this to be in the world. Yeah, yeah for it's, sure. It's possible that this is the biggest Powered by the Apocalypse Kickstarter ever, um, wow. which is a sort of family of um, games in the indie RPG sphere that have some mechanics in common. So I didn't expect that, right? Like people are now saying like, this is what people are going to think when they think of an alternative to Dungeons and Dragons. I'm like, mm. no way. No way. That's awesome. my game? I don't, I don't know about that. But I, it, it hope might, so. well, <laughs> I hope so. I hope so. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so now that uh, as of recording this, the Kickstarter is like just totally exploded and done so well. And now that it will be over by the time this airs. So what can people expect next? Yeah. So it's going to go up on backer kit at some point. Um, so it might not be up by the time this airs. But if you go to sword.gay or swordlesbians.com, I will keep those URLs updated with the latest place to go to either, um, you know, pre-order or get notified. So Evil Hat publishes physical books. They publish beautiful, beautiful physical books. Um, and we have an arrangement now that's going to let us ship to a whole bunch of destinations outside the U.S., which we didn't have at the start of the Kickstarter. Um so check it out, sword.gay, and uh, it will be something that you can ask your local game store to pre-order uh, once it has the ISBN and everything. So it's not at that point right now as we're recording, um, but you'll be able to get your hands on it and um, and hopefully won't have to wait too long, right? So like all of the backers have the PDF um, you know, without all of the art that we are paying for through the Kickstarter. So we are in the process of doing art specs and getting people to draw a whole lot of queers. And um, that's, that's <laughs> its own reward for me, right? Like I wanted to raise a bunch of money so I could pay people to draw sword lesbians and friends. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I love awesome. it. <laughs> uh, what's the best place where people can find uh, more of just you and your work separate from sword lesbians? Yeah, so my RPG Twitter is Gay Spaceship Games, um, Gay Spaceship GMS. That's all the characters that they have on Twitter. <laughs> um, and my itch is at gayspaceship.com. So I have a couple of other things up there that you can check out right away, including End of the Line, which is a uh, GMless storytelling game where you are the crew of a sentient vessel on the way to being scrapped. And at the end, you'll be asked if you say goodbye. Um, and besides that, if you're interested in the civil liberties legal work that I talked about, I'm Prilkit, uh, at P-R-I-L-K-I-T on Twitter. So that is where you will get a mix of the gay shit as well as the activism and, um, digital freedom work. Excellent. Excellent. So yeah, definitely go check out April's work. Keep your eyes on Thirsty Sword Lesbians. We are going to... Stay on the recording with April to uh, talk a little bit more in our bonus episode. In our bonus episode for our Patreon subscribers, we're going to be talking a little bit more about the archetypes in Thirsty Sword Lesbians, talking a little bit about the ways that they are not quite perfect, just like all of us, even though I would love to believe otherwise about myself. We would love to hear from all of you who are listening right now. I mean, I posted in our Patreon group a couple weeks ago about like, hey, who's down to play a game of this with me and i'm everyone serious this sounds <laughs> everyone flipped out um this sounds like great fun so we would love to hear your interest in uh putting together something like that uh the best place to share your thoughts about this episode and this interview with other listeners is on this episode's discussion thread in our private facebook group or discord chat you can get access to these groups and join our exclusive community by going to patreon.com slash multiamory in addition, you can share with us publicly on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram. You can email us at info at multiamory.com. Multiamory is created and produced by Jace Lindgren, Emily Matlack, and me, Dedeker Winston. Our episodes are edited by Mauricio Balvanera. Our social media wizard is Will McMillan. Our production assistants are Rachel Shenowork and Carson Collins. Our theme song is Forms I Know I Did by Josh and Onan from the Fractal Cave EP. The full transcript is available on this episode's page on multiamory.com.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.